Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Monday, December 28th. Uh, Chris and I had a great Christmas break, and we're excited to be back podcasting today. Today, we're going to start off by talking about the most interesting things we've seen in the market since our last podcast, and then we're going to spend some time talking about pockets of the market where we're kind of seeing the most opportunity heading into 2016. So, Chris, why don't we start with you? What is the most interesting thing you've seen in the last week or two? Well, Andrew, um, you know, I think that the most interesting thing I've seen in the last week or two has been Valiant. You know, we were talking about coming into the end of the year on where we've looked for big opportunities for next year. And two of the areas I had mentioned are two of the biggest train wrecks out there, uh, Sun Edison and Valiant, and looking within the wreckage at other opportunities surrounding it. And uh, Valiant, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, people are down on this company for so many different uh, reasons. They kind of, it's in the perfect, uh, you know, one of the companies that has managed to have both pharma pricing and tax inversion and every kind of, these would be the bad guys in a Hollywood movie yep. uh, if they were, uh, and even even the, the CEO in particular. Um, so people kind of say, you know, he's bad, bad, or baddest, and then uh, he gets the sniffles and the stock market price goes down 10%. Yeah. So I, ho- I hope he gets better soon. Uh, whatever somebody thinks of the company or him as a CEO, I hope he's uh, fine. Um, from the looks of the uh uh, uh, medical situation, it doesn't look that severe. He's, he's hospitalized, but yeah. you know, that can be dehydration and other things. He has pneumonia and uh, uh, certainly very deadly a century ago, but with modern medicine, he'll, he'll probably pull out of it and be back to work before too long. But uh, uh, as soon as the announcement goes out, bam, the stock's down 10%. Yeah, it's interesting because anytime you see a stock down, you know, Valiant's down about 75% from its peak this year, maybe a little less after the past couple weeks. But anytime you see a stock down that much, people are saying, off with the CEO's head, off with the CEO's head. Yeah. And in this case, the CEO, it wasn't off with the head, but, you know, he announced the medical leave and the stock falls. So it's kind of careful what you wish for when you've got these CEOs have really built the company up. I, I always think of teenagers uh, that uh, t- say to their parents, I hate you, I want to run away from home, which is behavior typical of people who assume that you can always go back. Yeah. And so I think a lot of uh, <laughs> the market saying, oh, I hate you. is like, oh, but you're actually leaving. Good God. Uh, <laughs> Please uh, don't uh, go. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, let me turn the question back to you. What's the most interesting thing you've seen in the last few weeks? Yeah, I, so we're still doing work on it, but I think what we've been looking at is constant contact. Mm-hmm. So that's the ticker is CTCT, and people might know them from their email marketing campaigns. They've got a lot of small business kind of. They do all the email marketing, media blasts, everything, and they're getting acquired by a company called Endurance International. And uh, about two weeks ago, Constant Contact came out and disclosed that they had received an SEC subpoena. Uh, looking at their sales and marketing practices, as well as their financial disclosures. And then maybe three hours on the heels of that, the buyer had to disclose that as well. And the stock price, which was trading, uh, Constant Contacts getting traded, bought for $32 a share. And it was trading pretty close to 32 uh, The stock price is now traded down to 29 mm-hmm. And one of the things you can do is you can uh, back into the implied probability of a merger closing. by It's a little bit of algebra, but basically you say, all right, if the stock will fall to, you know, you take an assumed price, we normally assume kind of the price before the deal was announced. If there's X chance of that and one minus X chance of it closing at the deal 
what is the stock price implying today? Mm-hmm. And right now, you can kind of see the markets implying about a 50% chance of the deal closing, uh, of the deal falling through or closing based on the stock price of 29. And that seems pretty low to me and pretty panicked. Uh, you know, the deal's supposed to close in a month. It's been two weeks, and nobody's come out and said it's a material adverse change. There's no conditions to the deal closing aside from kind of shareholder approval at this point. So it's the place where SEC investigation uh, kind of causes a lot of panic, but it seems like the panic might be overblown in this case, particularly because we think the deal makes a lot of strategic sense. I agree. You know, one of the first things you mentioned was that before the uh, SEC uh, uh, concerns came out, it was a tight spread. Yep. Um, happily, we didn't happen to own it at the time. Uh, one of the things I've observed in this type of deal situation is there are risks like this that are fairly evenly weighted, which yeah. makes me think, one, never take any existential risk on anything because anything can have something pop up like this. Yeah. And two, be a little greedy about your upside. Don't don't think about owning these things for really tight spreads because people will sometimes, in a very circular way, approach that market implied probability uh, mechanics that you mentioned and use that as proof that it's a safe deal. Yeah. But of course, it can't be both things. You can't lead and follow. Uh, you can use it just to observe, okay, that's what the market's thinking. So I think that this shows... Be very, very careful uh, if you ever want to be in tight spreads. I, you know, and I think that's going to be a great segue. If you were some funds when this was trading at a kind of almost certainly the deal was going to close, they could clip a 1% spread mm-hmm. for a month, which is 12% annualized, which is a great return, obviously, mm-hmm. if the deal closes. And then a lot of funds can apply tunnels of leverage to that. Uh, and I think when you get SEC investigation, you just have to sell no matter what if you were levered trying to capture a 1% spread. So... That's a really opportunity. The only other thing I'll mention is endurance has been the subject of a lot of short selling over the mm-hmm. past uh, six months. Kind of people who think the stock price is overblown, they're betting the stock will go down. So I think a lot of the weakness there is also people saying like, oh my gosh, SEC investigation, short selling, are they going to be able to close this deal? But they have committed financing. The deal makes a lot of strategic sense. So I think uh, – I, I, it seems like the deal will close. It's something we're going to continue working on, but it's very interesting to see that. For somebody interested in what our meetings look like, we usually have a two o'clock afternoon investment meeting. And Andrew and I, with our other colleagues, go back and forth on ideas. And one thing that's very nice about this market implied probability uh uh, a premise is we can then that that's how we approach the conversation yeah. you know earlier if somebody said are you more than 97% sure this deal is going to close I would say I'm not more than 97% sure what my name is I, I, I have very <laughs> few things that I want to wager on that. but now Andrew and I can look at each other and say do you think it's better than 50-50? Well, even though I am uncertain what happens, I have a table-pounding view that it's much more likely than 50-50. Yeah. And, uh, and that just allows us to kind of frame our conversations. Exactly. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So hopefully this will be a good segue into our next segment, what's, uh, where we're seeing opportunity for next year. But before we get there, uh, just a quick request. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you already subscribe, we really appreciate it. And please recommend it to a friend who you think might like it. And if you have any feedback on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. So, you know, anything from 
what do you think we should be talking about? Suggestions for future topics? A lot of the feedback I've gotten so far is some combination of my voice is too quiet and or Andrew's is too loud. And I would just like to mention when he was just saying that, I bumped into the microphone. <laughs> so for me to get any closer would be inappropriate in a workplace between my relationship and this microphone. So I'm not getting any closer. Uh, we will see if our IT people can help, but I'm doing all that I can. Oh, there's an opportunity for 2016, continuing to fix the sound quality. But anyway, so opportunities for 2016. Let's talk a little bit about where we're seeing the most opportunity heading into 2016. And I'll throw out the first one. I think it's a well-known effect. Uh, People call it the December effect, Mm -hmm. where uh, portfolio managers kind of sell their losers indiscriminately in Mm -hmm. December. And there can be two reasons for that. One it's very tax efficient. If you bought something at 10 in January and you own it at 5 in December, you know that, that kind of sucks. But if you sell it now, you can capture the short-term capital gains tax loss yield, which mm-hmm. is very valuable. And two, window dressing. <clears throat> Portfolio managers have to disclose their holdings every quarter. If you have a big loser in December and you hold it on December 31st, you're going to have to have a conversation with all of your clients about why you decided to hold that big loser. Whereas if you just sell it right now, you can kind of avoid the conversation. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think about those? Are you seeing any opportunities there? Anything else? Absolutely. I mean, I would say that every investor is somewhere on a spectrum between whether they're trying to sound smart or do it actually mm-hmm. make sense. And my thought, and uh, I, I, I think of you in exactly the same way, but that everything we do at Rangely is just on the pole of doing what actually makes sense by hand in absolute terms. And if it looks embarrassing or confusing, then it's our job to use words, to write, to speak, to bring along our investors and to comfort ourselves that we are doing the right thing. Uh, and so we're great counterparties for window dressers. We're window dressees or window dressing service providers for anybody who wants to get rid of something price insensitively. You know, they can come to us this week with you know massive market sell orders to spew out anything they don't want uh, because it's embarrassing. We'll buy it for some fraction of its value. And then if we have to explain it to people, we'll explain it. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a great point too, because it, it goes, it even goes further where if there's a stock that's a big loser, so we mentioned Valiant a little earlier, Valiant might make sense. Even if you didn't own it from 260 to 100, mm-hmm. you might not want to buy it in December at 100 because then you're still going to have to explain Swear. to clients why you own Valiant, yeah. even though you didn't even lose anything yeah. on it. And we're very willing to go, oh, and Valiant, I don't believe we have any position or anything, but we're very willing to say, oh, we think this is worth 150. It's trading for 100. We're happy to hold it and look foolish, but maximize our expected return. Absolutely. I think the two examples I would throw out are even one level of pain worse, one level of dread greater for having to explain, which is we might have a loser. We could buy something that goes to zero sized appropriately and with open eyes going in saying the upside downside probability made sense. We believe we were taking a risk because we have all sorts of different outcomes, but very rarely have an outcome that's worse than we thought we were exposing ourselves to. I I like to do that never. Uh, But where somebody both lost, I mean, I think the real time to sell this week, uh, and I mean this tongue in cheek, uh, the real time people like to sell this week is if you lost an enormous amount of money in something that you had hypothesized was perfectly impervious to losing any yeah. money. And the two examples I would use this uh, this week are KMI, Kinder Morgan, uh, yep. Kinder Morgan uh, and uh, Terp, uh, Terraform uh, uh, Power, yep. uh, were things that were owned for purposes that were kind of undermined 
by the fact that the market price was going down. So both of these are great examples. They, they're stocks that the basic thesis was they yield 5%. They're going to grow their dividend. They'll never trade lower because they've got this dividend yield that supported them. And then it turned out they traded 75% lower and there were all these existential risks. And if you're a portfolio manager, you just you sell because you don't want to look embarrassed. You lost 75% in the safest part of your portfolio. I think that's uh, absolutely true. And it's still rational in the, an embedded game where your game goes from maximizing expected value to minimize getting yelled at. Yeah. And, you know, I want to harp on the point you said a little bit about we are fine taking bets as long as we know the risks. The one thing that bothers me is if we lose money and we couldn't, we didn't identify when we were talking about the stock or the company why we were going to lose money before. I'm perfectly happy, not happy, but it's perfectly acceptable to me if we lost money, but we size it appropriately, we knew the risk, that's fine. Uh, some people, I feel like if they came to me with a coin toss and they said, hey, I'll pay you $10 if it's heads and $1 if it's tails and I take it and then it's tails. Some people, I feel like they say, ha, 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 like, why did you take that bet? You're such a sucker. And to mm-hmm. me, I'm fine doing that as long as I understood it was a coin toss and my expected value was really strong. I, I, I saw uh, over over the holiday, I was escaping family and uh, snuck away and uh, saw an Ajit uh, Jain interview about his relationship yeah. with Buffett. And he So Ajit Jain, just to let uh, listeners who don't know, this is the guy who runs Buffett's uh, Berkshire's reinsurance program, which is insuring these massive liabilities, billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And what he's trying to do is take, you know, he's trying to reinsure at a 2% rate that it happens where it's only a 1% rate. Exactly. Exactly. And one thing that Ajit said, why does he love to work with Warren and why did the two of them at older ages at this point stay working long after they need jobs? And the reason is, is it's so positive and so rare to have two men who just try to make decisions well judge themselves harshly on making bad decisions, even if they make billions of dollars, yep. and judge themselves gently if they lose billions, doing things in the right way with the right probabilities, with the right odds, because they'll eventually catch up with you. you know, and Chris and I have been discussing this today. I've been reading the book Super Forecasters, and I think Chris is going to read it. But one of the, the huge things for people who become – this is a, a book talking about people who become really good at predicting things in the world – And one of the big things is you favor process over outcome. So Mm -hmm. if you said something was 90% likely to happen and it doesn't happen, you're okay with that as long as you can identify, you know, did I have the chances right? Was there anything flawed in my analysis? And Mm -hmm. you use each iterative process to improve upon it. I think that's exactly what Buffett and Ajit are talking about. It fits very well with being long-term. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think that's one of the reasons why if you're a long-term investor, you don't want to judge yourself by you know, if you dramatically underperform one year, you need to think long and hard about it. But you can't judge yourself just by kind of the earth spinning around the sun once. You need a longer term record. Where And if you continue to favor process over outcome, continue to get better, continue to look for opportunities like window dressing and December uh, tax losers, you can outperform. Uh, I think we're running up close to our time limit. The only other thing I'll mention on December tax losers, just because I, I thought this was uh, really interesting, is this has been a terrible year for micro cap and mm-hmm. small cap investing. Those are generally more illiquid companies. And so when they get hit with the December tax loss, they generally fall further. So for investors who are looking to outperform, it's always a great place to look. Uh, but I think particularly right now is an interesting time. Anything else before we sign off, Chris? That's it. All right. Well, that's it for today. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any comments, please uh, be sure to shoot it to Chris or I. And we will be back later this week with another podcast. Have a great day.